Hello and welcome to Living Proof, the Isaac Newton Institute podcast. My name is Dan Aspel. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Christy Marr as we speak to Professor Franka Hoffman. Professor Hoffman is a junior professor at the University of Bonn, and she has some tremendously inspiring things to say about her work with the African Institute of Mathematical Sciences in Rwanda. We very much hope you enjoyed the episode. So we're here on the mic today with uh, myself, Dan Aspel, and Dr. Christy Ma. Hi. And uh, Professor Franka Hoffman. Hello, great to be here. Oh, great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so it's lovely to see you, Franka. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we've got quite a lot of topics to discuss today. Christy, would you like to sort of give an overview of the kind of things that we were excited to talk to Franka about? Well, one of the things that I really loved, as soon as I saw your bio, um, Franka, is I love how... Um, how you've really, obviously, really worked so hard at your networking and you have so many connections and so many interests, so many research interests, so many different application areas. And I just thought that was really exciting and inspiring and so impressive. And I would just love for you to talk a little bit how you juggle all of that. Well, it it kind of just happened naturally, I have to say. Um, So when I When I was at high school, I didn't think of myself as a mathematician at all. So I I never had the plan to become a mathematician, but rather I was just interested in all all sorts of subjects. I wanted to study history and philosophy and mathematics and uh, many other things. Um, And it was always fun to to do math. And so I, I noticed that if I would completely stop doing mathematics, I would miss it. And so, but at the same time, I was thinking that if I study mathematics, I mean, the image that I had of mathematics when I was at high school was it being a very um, closed up subject, or not closed up subject, but somehow very narrow as a, as a subject. And so I felt that it would be too narrow um, for me. And so I just wanted to study everything. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I applied to one uh, uh, course where you can study eight subjects at the same time. Um, and... Uh, well, then, then they told me that if I did that, there wouldn't be enough math in it to potentially continue uh, later. So then I said, okay, maybe I don't want to do that then. Um, yeah, and so when I, when I started actually studying math, so I studied mathematics and French. Um, I also applied for mathematics and philosophy and mathematics and international relations and mathematics and any other subject that I could find, basically. <laughs> so it ended up being mathematics and French. Uh, for context, um, you grew up in Germany, is that right? Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. But I, I left Germany right after high school, um, and I studied in London, actually, right. at okay. Imperial College. Um, and so they had this uh, degree, Mathematics with a Year in Europe, which included like mathematics and French, basically. Um, yeah, and then I noticed that actually math is much larger as a field than what I expected at high school. And so, I mean, I'm still not getting bored, really. <laughs> There's so many things to do within mathematics that, um, yeah, and I love working with people. And so it just kind of happened naturally, I think. And so you're currently on the FKT program and you, with the, the yes, kinetic fr- theory program. Fr- front, frontiers and kinetic theory, that's right. And you've only arrived today, I believe. 
Uh, yesterday. Yesterday, okay, so fresh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fresh arrival. Very fresh, yeah. So I, but I, I mean, there's a lot of people here, actually, that I know from other conferences or that I'm working with, and so it's really great to meet people again. And, and you were in the, you were on the Massive Deep Learning Programme or in one of those workshops um, before Christmas. As well, that right? yes, yes, that's right. But that was only virtually, unfortunately. Yes. I'm so happy that I can be here in person now. <laughs> it was a yes. close call, though, wasn't it? We didn't know that you would be able to yes, make it in person. Yes. Yeah, but I'm really happy I could come. That's fantastic. I think the I think it's we're doing what we can for virtual participants, but there's nothing like being in this building. It's really um, yeah. Yeah, I have to say, interviewing in in person is a great deal different as well. So it's a real pleasure from our point of view, not just from the program participants. Yeah, what I was saying earlier. I mean, research, um, new research ideas to happen spontaneously spontaneously on Zoom is just very difficult to do that so mm. yeah I think there's nothing that replaces sort of in-person discussions on the blackboard and so yeah of which there are plenty in fact we're looking at four right now so uh, should, I, should I pick up another question I would love to ask you more about so um, uh, as you may know that we are really interested in um, forming collaborations with AIMS so the African Institute of Mathematical Sciences and um, and we saw that you've got um, a strong involvement there, and particularly um, with the Quantum Leap Africa program. And I would love to hear how your connection with Ames came about, how you got involved with that, and your path to that point would be amazing. And although I know you're not one of the organisers of Ames, if you could give us a little bit of an introduction to it for those that aren't familiar, that would oh, be great. Yes, yes, sure. I mean, my, my story with Ames is already um, longer, in fact, nearly 10 years now. Uh, but I just joined Ames um, in 2020, so I'm now actually I have a part-time position there as a research chair in data science. Um, so Ames, the African Institute of Mathematical Sciences, was founded in 2002 by uh, Professor Neil Turok, who was at University of Cambridge as well, professor here. But he's from South Africa, and so he founded um, this math institute in South Africa, which really try to rethink what a university can be or how um, mathematics education and also research can can happen. And so he purchased an, a, a hotel and um, turned that into math institute. And the idea was for the students and the lecturers to live together in the same room. And so there were discussions happening all day long. I mean, over dinner, after dinner, spontaneous tutorials, um, this, this environment where you're just completely immersed in just exchanging and, and, and um, learning about math and meeting exciting people in different mathematical fields. That was kind of the vision that, that he had. Um, and, and it was very successful in South Africa. So they recruited students from all over Africa on, on full scholarship um, for a one-year master's uh, degree. And uh, he was able to really pull in top lecturers from around the world to come there and, and teach and give intensive courses. And so... <clears throat> then he, yeah, this, this institute grew and, and uh, now we have five of these institutes in different African countries. Uh, the headquarter is in Rwanda, in Kigali, and then there's one in, in Ghana, in Senegal and in Cameroon, in addition to the one in South Africa. Um, and the network is, is still growing. And so it's really a pan-African institute because at, at each institute, the students are coming from all over the continent. So for a lot of students, it's also the first time to be in this kind of very pan-African environment and also international environment with the international um, lecturers coming in. And it's, it's really unique, I think, as, as, a, as a model. And um, so I've been getting involved with AIMS through uh, mass camps that I was running in Africa. So these were things that I did during my undergrad and then also later during my, during my PhD. 
uh, that we were running sort of uh, summer programs for high school students in Africa. And for these, we always had volunteers, I mean, local volunteers, so African math students, for example, who would uh, come and, and run the camp with us. And um, there were a lot of AIMS students there as well, or AIMS alumni. And you could really tell that the way how they were approaching things and the way how they were thinking about mathematics as a subject was very different. And I really, so it's through, through the, the students, actually, that I met AIMS or that I heard about AIMS. And then AIMS also started hosting these camps. So they provided us facilities and catering and really enabled um, these, these uh, events to happen. I mean, this is also one of their mission to, to sort of build up the pipeline um, of, of mathematics. And they also have a, a secondary school program and um, teacher training program and so on. Um, so they do more than just uh, running the, the master's degree. And yeah, so then through that, I, I got involved with AIMS and then I started um, supervising master projects for them. Uh, once I had my PhD, then I also went to teach uh, for them. And uh, yeah, then when I was asking myself the question uh, where my own career path is going next after, after my postdoc and I was applying for faculty positions, I was, um, yeah, very taunt sort of uh, if I should... How can I balance my um, projects that I was running in Africa and my involvement there with a full-time research career? And so AIMS has enabled me to combine these two passions in a very beautiful way, I think. So now I have a 20% position with AIMS. And at the same time, I'm full-time at the University of Bonn in Germany as a, as a junior professor. So you've got 1.2 FTE. <laughs> That's really quite a demanding thing. Do you, what, so what advice would you give for other people who are trying to carve out their career but don't want to, but want to do things in addition to their mathematics? What advice would you give? And, and maybe as part of that, if I can ask, you mentioned that as an undergrad is when you got involved in AIMS. I was just wondering what stimulated that? What made you think, yes, I absolutely want to go to Africa and be part and of And run your project. maths yeah. camps. And, and I guess that will tie in with Christy's question about what advice can you give to people looking to expand? Yeah, I think it, it really happened by chance in a way. I mean, I... I didn't have any involvement with Africa before. I didn't have any plan to go to Africa. So there was an organization in Ghana, a small NGO in Ghana, that was really run entirely by Ghanaians, and they didn't really have contacts outside of Ghana who were trying to build contacts internationally and pull people in and have someone come and help with maths camp that they, that they were running, or they started as so it was their first, their first maths camp. And um, they reached out to me and asked me if I would like to come and, and join them. And so... You know, I always feel these things happen by chance to me, but I guess it's also that if these things, I mean, if these doors open to you or life throws you some some uh, opportunities, then it's also up to you to actually recognize these and pick these up. So so they wrote to lots and lots of people and nobody got back to them because, you know, it was some unknown organization in Ghana that, that um, people didn't really know who they are and, and so... Yeah, people just didn't get back to them. And so when I even just replied and said, you know, who are you? What exactly are you doing? They got very excited. And um, yeah, I, I, this is how I then ended up doing all these things in Africa later because I, I went, I mean, I was in my second year undergraduates when, when that happens. Amazing. And um, they, 
yeah, I mean, I, I had sort of several Skype calls with them and talked to their volunteers. And at that point, I, you know, after I had talked to a few people there, I had the feeling, okay, they actually exist. <laughs> and, but still, when I, when I bought my flights, I mean, I was 20 at the time, my parents were like, what? Do you know who these people are? <laughs> what kind of organization is this? <laughs> so they were quite, uh, you know, a bit shocked about that because it was not an organized thing. And it was just somebody actually... Uh, so I was undergraduate at Imperial College at that point. And the reason why they contacted me was because Imperial College sort of featured on their undergraduate perspective one person per subject to just explain, you know, wh what is this field like? And so they asked me, you know, why do you study mathematics? What does your typical day look like? What are your activities look like? And so they, I was sort of featured on the math department website. So they Googled Imperial College mathematics department and then they saw my profile and then they contacted me that's brilliant um but actually there was not my contact details you know it wasn't supposed to be for that so yeah. um yeah they found me on facebook and just wrote me on facebook so <laughs> one day i got a message on facebook you know hey do you want to come teach math in africa and um yeah i mean i guess most people would have thought hmm. <laughs> you know, maybe not so trustworthy but i'm really really glad that i uh, it's amazing. Back replying to, to that Facebook message is sort of like a life-changing <laughs> yeah. moment for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when I was a similar age, actually, I spent three months in Ghana, and uh, I hope that oh. you were as happily impressed by the culture there as I was. It's, it was such a warm and welcoming place, in my experience. And yeah, exactly. It was actually Ghana where this NGO is. Mm. And so this first trip, I mean, I, I, before I was in South Africa once with um, our symphony orchestra, but so so in terms of mathematics context this trip to Ghana for this math camp was the first time really I was going to sub-Saharan Africa and it just completely changed my view of the world because I realized that um, the idea I had about Africa and also I guess about many other places in the world are very biased through your own experiences and through the kind of um, things that you you meet in a daily daily life and it just flipped my whole worldview upside down in the sense that I, I realized that, okay, I, I do have a lot of also stereotypes and maybe images that are not quite representative. Um, and yeah, from there on, I just wanted to discover more. Like I wanted to find out what are all these sort of stereotypes that I have in my head that, that are not so, I, I guess there are many. I mean, any place where you haven't been and really met the people, you have probably some ideas that are not um, so, so representative. But yeah, it was, so, so it was a very amazing experience in Ghana. And so after that, I, I wanted to come back to Africa. And um, I, I had sort of several different things that I was doing in different places where I was trying to find out where do I feel can I invest my time in a meaningful way. And for example, we did a, a documentary film in Cameroon in 2013, um, this was completely unrelated to, to mathematics. It was, again, through people that I met uh, by chance. <laughs> and, yeah, then I met uh, this organization called African Mathematics Initiative. Initiatives with an S, I should say. And they are an NGO in Kenya. And they run math camps in Kenya since 2011. And after... So, so I really like the, the philosophy of math camps that they, that they set up. So they really thought about the educational concept behind it. And also the people that are involved in this are all in it 
because they are full of passion for, for mathematics. It's like a collection of math enthusiasts that come from all sorts of different walks of life at different career levels, and they come together to create this firework of mathematics for a week. So, yeah, it's, it's a week-long math camps where students come from all over the um, country. And before that, there's a one-week preparation week where the, the volunteer team gets together and just thinks about, you know, what could we teach? And then maybe you have someone who does... Uh, quantum computing and they come up with a course on quantum computing i turned my master thesis into into sessions there uh so every time you know you learn also from the other people that are there and there's some math teachers that come and so this is where i learn for example how to teach really because if you just do a research track classically at a university you never really learn how to teach or you never have any pedagogical training <laughs> you just one day if you're a researcher you get thrown into the classroom and you say okay now teach and you're expected to know the math of course but nobody told you how to handle people in some sense <laughs> so um, this really helped me I mean uh, it's really amazing to watch these math teachers turn content into amazing lessons it's 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 a project yeah it's a process um, yeah sorry I, I still didn't answer your question what what kind of advice I would give people on the way um, I, well, I guess it tied yeah. into that now you know I've had time to think about what you've just been saying as well and in 2022 are there just as many opportunities for this for what oh definitely yeah. I mean even more I, I mean the world is changing right and and even just with us moving virtually um, and also the the work relationship changing the way how people work internationally um, it, it's all evolving so there's uh, definitely lots of opportunities to to get involved Excellent. Um, yeah, so in terms of uh, life advice, I, I guess the best thing is to not let yourself get confused with uh, stereotypes. So, for example, I mean, um, it is possible to combine different passions that you have or different interests to put together a job that, that really suits you. I think. But for that, you have to know what, what you like <laughs> and what kind of passions you have. So I think any opportunity that allows you to discover where your strengths are and where your passions are is, is, is great if you can follow that. And once you know what you actually want to do or what are the things that you really care about, there are ways of sort of creating your own way of combining these, sometimes beyond sort of the established systems, I think. In the end, it's all people, so... There's lots Absolutely, of possibilities. Yeah. You've, you've, you're speaking out loud things that I've thought in my mind but never actually enunciated before exactly right. So thank you for saying that because that's exactly how I feel as well. Um, it's interesting that you would have been working with so many young people uh, across Africa in various parts of Africa by the sounds of it. Um, and particularly, I imagine, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but people who may not have had as much opportunity to pursue higher education as they would in your home country, in our home country. So did you find yourself inspired by that? Did you find yourself uh, really feeling like you're connecting with people who absolutely deserve and need this opportunity for mathematical education, but perhaps had less of an opportunity for it than others might? Is that accurate or not? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it has influenced the way how I think myself about mathematics and education in general and the kind of things that I want to do in life. So I would say without these... Um, experiences and, and also projects that we were running there with high school students and, and people at all education levels, really. 
I would have probably gone a very different way. I mean, I would have maybe not decided to go into research. Who knows? I, I realized that, you know, where you're born and what kind of environment you're born in determines so much of what kind of things you can access and then also what kind of role models you have and, and um, then ultimately <clears throat> which path you're choosing or um, what, what kind of things you're inspired by. And, I mean, meeting all these very young, energetic, super motivated students was uh, something that has really energized me as well. And, and you see that, I mean, I realized that I, people sometimes have a lot of opportunities, let's say in Germany where I grew up or in the UK where I studied, and they don't um, appreciate them as much because they don't see how, um, what a privilege it actually is. And then when I was in, in Cameroon, for example, uh, you know, I, I spent time with students there and um, they get up at maybe 4 a.m. to travel for an hour, two hours to the university, be there at 5 or 6 for a lecture that starts at 8 a.m. because it's maybe a course that has 2,000 students enrolled and there are only 500 seats and most of them are broken. And so if you don't turn up early enough, you can't even get into the room. And, um, you know, who that I know in Germany would get up at 4 a.m. to go to math lecture? It's, it's, yeah. so, so people are really, um, if you want to, to, to study mathematics, for example, and there are less opportunities in order for you to succeed, you have to be so motivated and put so much energy and passion into it and make a lot of sacrifices to make it work. It's something that I always admired a lot for people who are able to do that. And, um, yeah, I think it, it put things a lot in perspective for me. Um, and, and this also, of course, then uh, made me feel like I, I want to be able to share the opportunities that I have and the access to, to um, education that I have to, to people who, who are really deserving of them. Yeah, and I, I'm presuming that a lot of the initiatives that you've mentioned will also be trying to invest in the infrastructure so that you don't have to make that choice to... Uh, to get two hours early to the, to the lecture so that you can be one of the quarter of the students who can get in. And that also brings me along. I'd love to hear you talking a little bit more about Quantum Leap, um, Quantum Leap Africa. <laughs> not the um, TV series from the 80s or 90s. No, I, no. I'm not sure about that. Um, I, it's not within my <laughs> reference point, but Quantum Leap Africa is. And I'd love it if you'd talk about that as well, following on from what Dan has. Yeah, so Quantum Leap Africa is um, a research centre that uh, was opened recently at Ames, uh, at the headquarters in, in Rwanda. And it's, it's really new, really, and it's just now beginning to, to grow. And um, the two important sort of tracks inside this at the moment is data science and then um, quantum mechanics or anything com related to quantum science. And um, yeah, so I've been involved quite a bit with the data science track of that. Uh, so I can talk a bit about that. But really it's, you know, the, the, there's a lot of talk recently about the quantum revolution. And I mean, on the one hand, you have this uh, very ambitious goal of building quantum computers, which we're still in the very early stages of, of there being any quantum computer that we can use really for, for applications. But the potential of this technology is enorm. And this is why, I mean, people know that, governments know that, this is why there's so much investment in, in this area. 
And and so, of course, Africa doesn't want to be left behind on, on that quantum revolution. And so it's very important, I think, that also there, you know, that uh, in Africa you have expertise um, that can link into that global trend. And so this is what Quantum Leap Africa is, is really trying to do, trying to build that expertise and also getting people in, providing a, a platform for exchange. Um, and so apart from building quantum computers, of course, there's a lot of mathematics that goes into this. And there's a lot of theoretical work where you can make um, advances really at the frontiers of the field without having to invest millions of dollars because you just working, for example, on security of quantum algorithms or quantum cryptography, there's a lot of things that you can do that has the potential of having high impact in the field where essentially you just need pen and paper. And um, so I think it's a great opportunity to kind of, uh, yeah, try to be at the frontiers of this also in Africa and have people be able to join that international developments. And how big is Quantum Leap Africa at the moment? How many people are involved in it? Very few. Exactly. <laughs> so, early when, days, I know. Yes, yeah, so, so there is the plans for hiring a research chair in uh, the quantum side of things. Uh, so I have filled the position for the research chair in data science. So I have been involved in building up the data science group there. So now we also have a junior research chair in data science. That's uh, Dr. Issa Karambal, who just joined us a few months ago. And so he's in Kigali now, and we have several postdocs. Um, We're now, we just started the first doctoral training program in data science. Uh, So so Ames traditionally has uh, been doing, uh, well, what I mentioned, so the the master's courses and also uh, programs with uh, teachers and, and schools um, and a lot of extracurricular programs. And, well, and another big thing that they do that I should also mention is the uh, Next Einstein Forum, which is a big uh, conference that happens every two years. It's, I think, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, science conference in Africa and it's really showcasing mathematical science and, and beyond on, on, on a pan-African stage. So I think that's also really key in terms of the impact that they have. Um, but now they're really trying to build up the research side of things. So Ames has been hiring more research chairs. They have been hiring um, PhD students and, and postdocs. And um, last, so in 2020, was the first uh, doctoral training program that Ames started, and that's in climate science. And so now with the data science PhD program is the second doctoral training program that we started. And so now we just had um, eight PhD students start, so four women, four men. I'm very happy about, about that, really top people. Uh, I mean, we got hundreds of applications from all over Africa, so it was very selective because we only had so few uh, positions. So I'm very excited what uh, will come out of there. It's amazing research. to be there right at the beginning of this program as well and just seeing, you know, you're, you're creating it and carving it out, and that must be a really exciting feeling. It was um, <laughs> a very big job, I would say, in the sense that um, I'm still very junior in my career myself, and so I'm sort of stepping up to me and say, we would like you to take care of this doctoral training program was really a big, um, a big step, and I thought a lot about it, if I should do it or not, and I realized that, um, yeah, it's, it's something that I think will have quite a bit of impact, and so it's definitely worth me investing my time in it, I think, and uh, I'm very happy about the sort of outcome after this first year that I've been doing this and that now we have actually those students walk into the door and they started working now with their supervisors 
and we're now recruiting for the second cohort already. Amazing. It's such a, a win-win in many ways because obviously the people who are taking part in these projects, uh, which exist because you know partly of yourself and, and, and others putting them together, benefiting enormously for that opportunity. And you yourself, as you've just said, benefiting from this increased level of responsibility that you wouldn't normally get at an early stage in your career, but, but, but clearly are capable of. So instead of waiting for so few opportunities to arrive in the UK or, or Germany or wherever else, actually making an opportunity like this, being part of the creation of it, it must be really fulfilling, as I think you just said, Christy. And um, I guess as a question from that, it's a lot of investment. I mean, you've more or less given the impression that you're doing you know, 1.2 times as much as, you, as a normal person would be doing. Um, you don't look very tired. Uh, are, are, you, are you very tired? Or is, the, is it, are you simply so energised by this that it just carries you onwards? I mean, I'm, I'm very aware that I wouldn't have to do as much as I do. So it's all by choice. It's, I, I do a lot, that's right. But, um, you know, I, I think that maybe now I, I go a bit uh, philosophical on this, but our, our time on this earth is limited. And I, I hope that I will be able to use my time here in good ways. And so I, I you know, if, if, I be, I, if I'm put in the position to, to be able to do something like this, I mean, it's an amazing opportunity. Somebody comes to you and asks you to, to set up a doctor training program it's something I never expected that would happen, especially that, that early. So I'm, I feel kind of honored to be able to, to part of, be part of this. Mm. So, yeah. I, and I also pulled a lot of motivation um, then for my own research and also for the way how I built my own research group and the way how I think about, um, yeah, doing mathematics in general. So it's just a, I mean, it's just a fantastic... Um, I'm just very happy that all of these things happened in the way that they that they did. So you are a real torchbearer for this um, for the whole quantum leap Africa. But there is another time you have been a torchbearer, <laughs> and I'm intrigued about this as to how this came about. So you were one of the torchbearers representing Imperial College, I believe, for the 2012 Olympics in London. How did that come about? <laughs> Actually, I don't know the answer to this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, were there any other mathematicians who were torchbearers? So I, it, it, this was for the Olympics in, in London in 2012. And at that point, I was doing my undergraduate at Imperial College. And I had already been in, started being involved in maths camps in, in Africa. And I was at that time doing an Erasmus exchange in France as part of this mathematics and French uh, course that I was doing. And Imperial College, I believe, had been given an allocation of three people to send as torchbearers for the, for the Olympics. And so Imperial College set up an internal committee and, and then talked about who they might want to put forward. Um, and they selected me. And I don't really know how this happens. <laughs> But the funny thing was that, so I was in France when the, and I, I wasn't thinking about the Olympics at all. I don't do a lot of sports. So I was, I was uh, very surprised one day to get this email saying, hey, do you want to be a torchbearer for the, for Imperial College for the Olympics? And to be honest, I, I thought it was spam. I just didn't believe this could be true. So I, I deleted the email. <laughs> we just need your bank account details. <laughs> <laughs> and then sort of uh, two weeks later, I got another email, this time from some sort of office uh, in the management of Imperial College saying, so did you receive our email? Would you be interested in this? 
And then I thought, ooh, this looks credible. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was uh, quite uh, a unique um, experience, I think, because the, the people that got selected for, to be torchbearers, they, they all had quite impressive life stories. Um, and I had the chance to meet some of them sort of before the, the actual torchbearing. And yeah, it's, it, it, it really also in, in inspired me to, to hear their stories. For me, it felt very symbolic of where your future was going and what you're doing with your career path. When I read that, I thought, goodness, that's really, that's, that's yeah, symbolic. So I, until today, I don't know why they selected me. <laughs> <laughs> and were there any other mathematicians? Did you ever discover that across the end of the globe? Or? Uh, for the torchbearers? Yeah. Um, I, haven't, I haven't encountered another mathematician, I have to say. <laughs> um, the person I remember very well was um, a military veteran that had lost um, his arms and legs in, in the war. And he was in the same sort of section running as me. And so he had, uh, he was wearing prosthesis. How do you say uh, it? Prosthetics, prosthetics, yeah. Yes, okay. And um, yeah, he, he did a lot of really amazing things. I mean, he set up lots of organizations to support military veterans and also ended up climbing very high mountains. Um, yeah, very inspiring person. And have you kept it in touch? No, I haven't, unfortunately. But maybe, maybe he'll hear this um, podcast and then reach out to you again. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I, I tell you another uh, question, as, as an amazing story as that is. I, I, I'm very also interested in what you said earlier about um, how you, you have, we all have perhaps some sort of prejudice is the wrong word, but a sort of presumptions about the rest of the world. And I think that's what you were saying about Africa. You said you, you didn't know anything about it. You, you made sort of assumptions. You visited it, realized that different parts of Africa are very different, all that kind of stuff. But also one thing about travel is that it gives you a very different perspective on your homeland. So with all of the work that you do in Rwanda, primarily, um, how do you then feel when you return to uh, your, your position in Bonn or, or to the UK? Well, I, I think every time I switch between these different worlds, I have a bit of a cultural shock <laughs> going backwards. <laughs> I, I remember, um, yeah, I mean, the life is just so, so different when I, when I sit in the train and, <laughs> and the train announces that, oh, the train is two minutes late, apologies. <laughs> and you've just spent sort of five hours waiting for a bus <laughs> somewhere in Africa. You, um, you have different, different perspectives. No, but um, it's... I think by now I really think of myself as a citizen of the world in a way. Um, yeah, different countries are very different. They have different histories and different cultures and different costumes and different identities. But in the end, we're all people. I mean, like what people want and what people hope for and what people desire is not that different across across the globe, really. And it's um, now that I, I've made very close connections with people in so many different places, it's, it's just, a, it really stimulates me, this, this kind of exchange. Um, yeah. Well, that's um, wonderful to hear. And um, I, I think I'm right in saying that uh, once you'd done your undergrad, you, you were in Cambridge, is that right, for your PhD? Um, yeah, so I, I was here in, at the doctorate training program called uh, Cambridge Center for Analysis, so CCA. And that's a four-year doctorate training program that combines probability analysis, 
PDE analysis and numerical analysis. And so the reason why I was very excited about this program is because it's interdisciplinary sort of within mathematics, like uh, making bridges between these different areas. Um, and I was still working a lot also with my master thesis supervisor at, at Imperial College at that time, uh, Jose Carrillo, who is also one of the organizers for the program here. Yes, in fact, there's a, a video interview uh, that we did yesterday, which will be on the website about the same time as this oh, right. uh, recording. So. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so I was still working with him. And then in the end, uh, so he was also my... PhD advisor, so I was kind of both at Imperial College and at University of Cambridge, and I went back and forth, sort of having the best of both worlds, I guess, from London and and Cambridge. Um, you doing the split site, <laughs> a smaller smaller distance, but again, split split site in your life uh, at that point. Mm. Yeah, so I spent the first year in Cambridge, which was the um, sort of introductory year where you do a lot of courses and mini research projects. And then I, I went back to London. I lived two years in London, but coming to Cambridge frequently and, and talking to people here. Then I spent four months in Sweden at the Mitterklefla Institute, which had a long-term program that was very much aligned with my PhD uh, topic. And then I came back to Cambridge for another half year, I think it was. And then I was pretty much writing up my thesis. And um, yeah, that was my Cambridge chapter. Hmm. Yeah, you very much are a citizen of the of the world, as you say. You know, constantly travelling by the sounds of it. Um, and I guess an interesting question is to ask about your involvement with these programs, because as Christy mentioned, you you visited the Mathematics of Deep Learning uh, program last year, mm-hmm. and now here you are for the Frontiers in Kinetic Theory program. And uh, I mean, firstly, how do you enjoy them? Do you, have you have you enjoyed your your experience of, of meeting people here, and uh, are you looking forward to the the days that you have uh, coming ahead? And, and also, as you described earlier, you know, you're at a relatively early stage in your career, but you are also a professor. So at the same time as uh, being with people who are much more senior, you are also in many ways on the same level as them. So that must introduce some interesting th- uh, feelings and experiences, perhaps. Um, yeah, so I, I've only been a professor for a year and a bit. So it's a very new uh, position to be in. And... Um, it comes with a whole set of new responsibilities and also you're playing a different role now for the people that you work with and I think you have to be aware of that and sort of it, it for me at least it took me some time to, to, to now rethink about how um, I, I interact with people or mentor people also and how you build a group and, and there's many things that suddenly you have to think about that you don't have to think about if you're just responsible for finishing your paper in, in some sense. I mean, if you're a PhD and, and, and also a postdoc, you're mainly responsible for uh, your own research output. Um, and if you, if you end up, if you just say, I stopped doing anything now, then the person suffering from that is you essentially. There's, it's, uh, you know, you, you're... Um, in that sense, only responsible for your own work. And, and now, if I would say I, I stop doing anything, there would be other people that suffer. And so you, you suddenly play a very different role. So I think that was a big step um, for me to make. Uh, but uh, so to come back to your questions about the programs, I think these are really essential for exchanging ideas and really doing research. I mean, especially now during the pandemic, I think I realized that um, most of the really exciting research or the new research ideas happen 
by chance through conversations and through being exposed to what other people do. And, and you know, it's, it's, not, it's rare that you sit at home and you think, okay, this is an idea I have. Um, I need to contact this and this and this person. That happens sometimes, but at least for me, most of the time, the way how, how the good projects happen is that you're just in, a, in an environment with a lot of other exciting mathematicians and you talk to them and then you hear what they do and they ask you what you do and you explain and then you realize that there are interesting open questions at the interfaces or you notice that there's a method that it, you can apply to something that you're stuck on or you realize that you know how to do something that someone else is stuck on and if you don't have these conversations you would never know about these things. And, and this is what usually happens at, at these research programs. So, um, yeah, I think they're really essential. And, and I, I'm extremely lucky, I think, that I had the chance to be um, advised by Jose Carrillo and, and Clément Moreau. Clément Moreau is also here in, here in Cambridge. Yeah. And they have both uh, exposed me to, to lots of these programs and, and opportunities to interact with people. And I think that's really key. Yeah. No. So I've got a question. What does the future hold for you, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if only I would know, right? <laughs> I'm not a fortune teller myself. Who knows? Um, yeah, well, the, the, the closer future I, I, I know. <clears throat> so I, so for after, after finishing my PhD in Cambridge, I went to uh, Caltech, California mm -hmm. Institute of Technology um, in California. And I spent three years there before moving to Bonn. And I will be moving back to Caltech uh, towards the end of this year. So I will start a tenor track position there. Yeah. Fantastic. That's very exciting. That's very exciting. And at the same time, I will be continuing the position with Ames. Fantastic. So, so I talk with them. So this is really a, a sort of a long-term uh, commitment, as I see it, to, to be part of building up these uh, research capacities at Ames. Uh, what I really enjoy doing is to build these bridges between... Um, the different places, but also between different subject areas and between different research communities. And I think uh, being in, in, in California and being involved in programs in Europe and at the same time with AIMS in Africa is really allowing me to, to play that role. Wonderful. Well, I don't know if you have any more questions to ask, Christy. That was my, my final one was just wondering where you were going. And it's, it's really exciting. It's really exciting. And I'm so pleased to hear that you're able to continue this partitioning of your time. So spending some still in Africa, but carrying on your career as well. Um, and I think that will inspire so many people who are listening um, to this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Professor Frank Hoffman. It's been a real pleasure.